Okay, do you worry about where your data goes? Are you concerned about privacy and who might have their hands on your information? We had a conversation earlier this week talking about these Amazon just walkout stores where essentially you use your phone to to scan your app and then you go into a store and you don't have to interact with any staff members. You can just scan your way in, scan your way out and take care of your purchase all on your own. There were some concerns though when it came to your data and to privacy. Who could potentially take that information about you. Do we really have to be that worried? Or could there be a good side to your information being out there? We're going to get into it right now with our guest. She's a professor of political science and principles research chair at the University of British Columbia. She's also a faculty affiliate at the Schwartz-Reisman Institute at the University of Toronto. Her latest book is We, the Data, Human Rights in the Digital Age. She wrote a great piece for theglobeandmail.com asking the question, who owns data about you? Dr. Wendy Wong is joining us this afternoon. Dr. Wong, thanks for making the time. Good to talk to you. Hi, Chelsea. So this is obviously an area that you study. You've written a book on it. What made you want to write uh, this article as well? And, and what is your what is your research all about? I think, you know, the questions you were just posing are the fundamental questions that we all have to kind of stop and think about today because so much data are being created about our very everyday sort of mundane activities, things we don't even really know about or track or maybe consciously even are aware of, like how we walk, where we go, our purchasing patterns or what we are, you know, looking at in different stores. And I think that, you know, I was, because I'm interested in human rights and because of the way that data have become so prevalent in our lives, really changing the human experience, I wanted to think about, well, does that change our entitlements? Does that change the way we should be thinking about things like the values that undergird human rights, like dignity, autonomy, equality, and community? What do you think are some of the themes that come up when we, when we are showing concern about data and where it might be going what are people most afraid of do you think it's hard to say right i think people sometimes don't understand the full implications of what's going on because our devices and our apps tend to be tracking so many different parts of of what we do in a day or you know recently like there was a report that came out that cars are actually keeping like newer cars are keeping track of lots of different data about our activities and even guessing what gender or what race we are. Um, You know, I think that you you phrased it as privacy in the introduction, and I think that's one of the ways people really think about it. But I I suggest in the book, and I think the way that we should be thinking about it should be broader than privacy, because privacy is just one of many, many different human rights we have. And really think about, you know, what changes in terms of how much choice we have in our lives or or what we can do or can't do so autonomy questions how does what does it mean to to create data about all these different things like the the number of steps we take or the our heartbeats or even our faces Mm. what does that speak about in terms of the worth of a human being in terms of human dignity for example so I I think it's you know we uh, what I want to do is encourage people to start thinking more about not just the fact that our activities and and thoughts are turning into data, but what implications that has for how we see each other and how we see our own humanity. 
In the piece that you wrote for theglobeandmail.com, um, you you reference a, a case from history and you use an mm-hmm. interesting argument around it that ultimately led to a few different scientific breakthroughs. It, you're, it's Henrietta Lacks and her story yeah. of how it really, really helped uh, medicine and science in a big way, You know, kind of alluding to the idea of maybe we don't need to be so afraid of our information being out there because it could lead to some good. Can you explain that, expand on that? Sure. I mean, Henrietta Lacks' story, you know, very briefly, she was a a black woman living in Baltimore in the mid uh, 20th century. And um, she ultimately died from cancer, but her cells did not. They, They lived on. And those cells were taken without her knowledge, so not even consent, but she actually didn't know at the time. And those cells led to the creation of what's called the HeLa line, um, the cells that have allowed for us to, you know, discover things and, and like IVF, for example, it helped, has helped with various vaccines because these cells um, have, been, have carried on and far outlived the person who they came from. And I think it's a really interesting way to sort of think about analogically with regard to data, because you're right, without the HeLa cell line and others that have come after, um, we maybe wouldn't have had all these medical breakthroughs. But, you know, the the breakthroughs were only possible because we scientists took cells from a person and then, you know, experimented and then created these technological breakthroughs. It's what I call in the book sort of co-creation, right, which is analogical to data in the sense that, you know, companies collect data about us, but it's hard to claim that those data are, quote, ours because it's data about what we're doing, Mm -hmm. but actually we're not making the data. The companies are making the data or governments, as, as it were, whoever's collecting the data is making the data. And I sort of make that connection. I call it co-creation because I think it's actually a real dilemma in terms of thinking about things like dignity or autonomy, right? If, you know, if we could choose to give ourselves, give cells away, or if we could choose whether or not data are collected about us, Maybe there are positive implications, of course, like breakthroughs, uh, you know, technological developments, but there are also implications for our individual autonomy, for choice, right? And in Henrietta Lacks' case, there were huge equality issues because, of course, she was a a black woman living in a pretty racist society at the time. It's a it's a really interesting argument to pose because it sort of it, it it confronts you as the reader with that sort of question of oh maybe this could actually do some good and maybe this idea of just being afraid of change in the way that the world is going is something to uh, to to maybe be less concerned about but as you mentioned there's a real difference between choosing and giving ownership to a company to take your data versus just having it taken from you so do you think yeah, that we're yeah. kind of heading to this sort of precipice of of maybe needing to regulate how much ownership we have and how much we can choose in terms of what we share? Is that the way forward? I absolutely think that is the way forward. I mean, I think we need to not regulate. I mean, you know, I think we ultimately need to come up with an answer to the question to whom do data about all of us belong, Mm -hmm. right? At what what point is is it 50-50 ownership between the data source versus the data collector, or is there some other distribution to think about? But also, I think from a human rights perspective, more broadly, we have to think about whether it's even right 
like, does it hurt human dignity to be collecting the types of data we're collecting, right? Knowing that data are effectively forever because there's no real way to know where they're going. Right. Right? One of the great things about digital data is that they travel everywhere and they're easily copied. And so, you know, once these data are created about whatever our mundane activities or our faces or, you know, our steps per day, we don't know who's using them. We don't know for what purposes. And I think that really is the question here. And and maybe one of the reasons I brought up the body parts as well as an analogy is, you know, how do we think about a piece of ourselves, right? Like whether it's you're giving away a sample at a doctor's office or, you know, like, pieces of your body, are they really you? What, how much of you are they? And then you think about our activities, our actions, our thoughts. How much of that is about you versus just something that might be able to be commodified? Right. So I think these are real questions that we need to think through when we think about data regulation. It's not just detritus or some byproduct or dust, however people want to think about it, you know, in these more commodity-like ways. It's really what it, what it means about being a human being. And so what do you conclude in terms of how much should be given away and how much should be collected of our data? So I really think it's time for a real public conversation about it. And I think part of what's keeping us from from doing that is that when we talk about AI, because data is so fundamental to the functioning of modern AI systems, we don't talk about data Typically, we talk about the algorithms, we talk about computing resources, and I think we really need to refocus around the datafication of human life. This is a fundamental shift in how we're living life. But also, I don't think it's incumbent on any single person to come up with the answer, because I think this affects all of us. We're living in human societies, and so it's not just one person saying, this should be the way. I think we need to decide, just as we decided over the last you know, a number of decades around where the boundaries of freedom of expression might be or freedom of religion or any number of human rights that we have. What do you say to the argument that, you know, you see you see kind of popping back up here and there of, well, my data's already out there. There are already sites mm-hmm. and there are already apps that are collecting it. It's already available. And so therefore I throw my hands up, whatever. How do you how do you address that? I mean, I think, unfortunately, we didn't have these conversations around the sort of implications for human experience of creating data around our behavior, for example, right? So we, so in some ways, those people are right, but that doesn't mean we can't change things going forward. I mean, one of the things that we have to remember about AI and how, you know, such systems use data is that data are backward looking, right? They record what we did. It does, they don't record what we're going to do. I think that's what AI systems are trying to figure out based on previous behavior is predicting the future. But I also think it's important to know that, you know, as human beings with autonomy, we we should be thinking about our choices going forward. And, and if we don't, if, if as a society we don't think the types of data collections that are happening, the types of data storage and data analysis that are happening now are correct, we can change that path. And, and one example is thinking about ChatGPT. There's a lot of controversy around the training data that ChatGPT used, and they've used you know, hundreds of thousands of copyrighted sources. Is that right? Is that fair? I mean, that's something that I think is, is right now up for question on copyrighted works. And so I think we could have a similar conversation around non-copyrighted data, things about us and about our daily lives. Who do you think, who, whose job is it to regulate it? 
is is it government that needs to step in? Is it some of these big monopolies, some of these big companies, these social media companies? Um, who do you think has the biggest role here to play? Look, I think it would. I, I think it would be naive to say like it's only government's job. I think governments need to have a better understanding of data and how important it is to AI, but also to really think through the implications of having so much data about very everyday activities. So I think the way we think about data needs to shift to a more humanistic, human rights respecting perspective. But, you know, ultimately, yeah, companies respond to incentives. So policymakers are creating reasons for companies to be more respectful of human rights in the data collection process or data creation process, either positive incentives or negative incentives. You know, that's something that companies respond to. I also think that all of us, I don't, I don't like it, I don't like thinking about it in terms of individual responsibility. But one of the things that I do talk about in the book that's not in um, the piece in the Global Mail is thinking about data literacy and how each and every single one of us should be entitled to to access more information about data literacy, to be to, to learn more about how data are affecting our lives, how data are created, what choices data collectors make and why those choices matter for the sort of data outputs that we receive from AI systems. These are all things that not many, very many of us have gotten training in. Um, there are a lot of data experts out there, like data scientists, but I'm talking about basic data literacy, kind of like knowing how to read and write and do arithmetic, basic stuff, because I think data are so important in human life now. Dr. Wong, thank you so much for making the time. Uh, it's a great article in the Globe and Mail. Uh, can't wait to check out your book. It's called We, the thank Data, you. Human Rights in the Digital Age. Uh, it's available everywhere and available now. Yep, yep, absolutely. And thank you so much for chatting with me today. Of course. I really appreciate getting your insight. Thank you. Okay, bye. That's Dr. Wendy Wong. Uh, she's a professor of political science and principals research chair out of the University of British Columbia. Uh, she's also a faculty affiliate at the Schwartz-Reisman Institute at the University of Toronto.